Okay, Psalms 46. I'll read verse 1, you verse 2, and then following. Ready? Verse 1. What a great verse. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Can we all say amen? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 2, you got it? Therefore, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raged. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for this great text. Thank you, Lord, for the great comfort that many have found in the words of this psalm down through the years. And may our hearts be comforted and may our hearts be encouraged tonight by the word of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For well over a year now, we have been in our Wednesday night services making our way through the Old Testament book of Psalms. I'm calling this Preaching Through the Psalms. The book of Psalms is one of five poetical books of our Bible. The poetical books of our Bible are the books of the Bible that express great human emotion and grapple with all the hard questions and the mysteries of life. Questions like, why do the righteous suffer? Why do we have to wait on God? And how many times do we find ourselves doubting God? Tonight in this series, we're all the way up through the 46th division or chapter of this great book. Most everyone agrees that Psalms 46 serves as the basis of one of the greatest hymns that has ever been written. The title of the hymn, you have heard of it if you've been in church any amount of time, the title of the hymn is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It was written by a man by the name of Martin Luther. Now, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. The song has been sang by many during a very dark and tragic time, either in their personal life or in national life as well. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That song rang, rang through the gigantic halls of the Washington National Cathedral the night after 9-11. It was also sung at a National Day of Remembrance three days later following the 9-11 attacks. This is a great psalm. That is a great hymn. The basis of Psalms chapter 46 seems to have been written, seems to be that this psalm was written after of the besieging 
of the city of Jerusalem by the Assyrians during the days of King Hezekiah. It was a dark day indeed for Jerusalem when almighty King Sennacherib and his well-trained, well-oiled military machine came against the city of Jerusalem. His mighty armies had already ran over the northern kingdom and, and uh, ran over the, uh, the capital city of Samaria of the northern kingdom. And thousands had been killed and what was left in their wake was nothing but devastation and destruction. Here's what we read about what Sennacherib did to the northern kingdom of the nation of Israel. The Bible said, Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria. So we find that this king, this mighty army has already been up north and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And after destroying the northern kingdom, old King Sennacherib set its sights on the southern kingdom of Israel. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse number 1, we read these words, After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. So if you can kind of get the picture now, here is the city of Jerusalem, and outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem are encamped this mighty Assyrian army. Now, King Sennacherib had overlooked two very important things about the southern kingdom that the northern kingdom didn't have. Number one, the southern kingdom had God. And number two, the southern kingdom had a godly king by the name of Hezekiah. So Sennacherib maneuvers his armies down against the city of Jerusalem, and he started a propaganda campaign, really, trying to scare the people of God by threatening the very God of heaven himself. This is a, this is a propaganda campaign. Um, you, you may remember back during the days of World War II, there was a lady by the name of Tokyo Rose who uh, broadcast over the airwaves and many of our soldiers in the far west Pacific theater picked her up every night. And she talked about how badly Japan was going to destroy the allied powers and become a world empire. And it was all just a source of propaganda, trying to make our troops afraid of what was about to happen. Well, that's what Sennacherib did. He started a propaganda campaign. He started sending letters to the men that was on the walls, the outlooks, looking over uh, before the war ever began. And here is what he said in his letters. Here's what he said. He wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him saying, as the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people out of mine hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of mine hand. Now, that's a pretty threatening thing there. It's one thing to assault the character of a king. It is quite another thing to call into question the character of the God of heaven. Well, when Hezekiah received this letter from King Sennacherib, I like what he did with it. Let me show you what he did with that letter. The Bible said Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. 
In other words, he took that letter, he went up to the house of God, got on the altar, laid the letter out there on the altar and said, okay, Lord, here's what he said about you. Now, God, what are you going to do about this? You know something, when you and I receive bad information or as the case may be a letter or something in the mail, uh, you know what we ought to do instead of calling everybody and gossiping about it? Well, just spread it before the Lord, shouldn't we? Just lay it out before God and ask God what he is going to to do about it. Well, Hezekiah went up to the temple, spread the letter out on the altar before the Lord. And let me just tell you this, boy, did God do something about it. God gave Hezekiah and God gave Judah a great, great victory. Well, in the wake of all that happened, we have Psalms chapter number 46. This Psalm was probably written or composed shortly after the great defeat of the Assyrian army and King Sennacherib. And what this psalm really serves to do for you and me is just to remind us that no matter how bad the outlook may be, no matter how dark the night may be, no matter how bad a situation may come in our life, no matter how bad the storm or how violent the storm may be, there is a God in heaven who can take care of every situation of our lives. Now get the picture. Here's Judah. Here's the king inside the walls, camped outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem is the mighty Assyrian army. You just know at any moment the attack is going to begin and the destruction and the devastation and the deaths of God's people are at hand. Well, let's read what happened now. In Psalms chapter 46, we read three things. I want to mention three things. Look, if you will, at verse 1. I want you to, if you circle in your Bible, write in your Bible, circle the word refuge. Then if you'll drop down to verse number 4, circle the word uh, river. And then if you'll come over to about verse number 7, verse number 8, I want you just to circle the word Lord, or I'm going to use the word ruler. And that's going to serve as the three points for the message tonight. There is a refuge, there is a river, and there is a ruler. Amen and amen. So let's get started tonight. Let's talk about this. Number one, there is a refuge. Now look at verse number one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Probably there's not a funeral that we have around here, and I've only had 12 this year. Don't nobody else line up to be the next one. Uh, but uh, every funeral that I have somewhere along the way, uh, as I talk to the family, I always quote Psalms 46, verse number one. God is our refuge and strength. Let's think about that word refuge for just a moment. A refuge. Here are some synonyms for the word refuge. It is a fortress or a hideout or a hideaway or a protection, a sanctuary, a shelter or a shield. So in other words, we could read it like this. God is our protector. God is our shelter. God is our sanctuary. God is our shield. God is our fortress. Now let me tell you something. As a child of God living in the days in which you and I are living in, aren't you glad that we have a refuge in 
the person of the great God of heaven. Unlike this world that we live in who has no place to flee when things begin to overwhelm them, as God's people, we have a refuge. God is our refuge. Now, this was especially true in the days of Hezekiah in the words of the text as they were cut off. Let me just say they were surrounded. They were maybe, we would say it like this, they were hemmed in. But in spite of all that, in spite of how it looked like, they didn't have a chance. They had a refuge, a secure place, a protection. I want you to, I want you to look at verse number one. Let me mention several things about our refuge tonight. By the way, are you in trouble? Are you having any problems in your life? Are you facing a situation that overwhelms you? Do the thoughts of another day kind of get you down. Well, here's what the Bible said. We have a refuge. Notice, first of all, look at verse 1. It is a personal refuge. Now look, if you will, at verse 1. The Bible said God is, what's the next word? God is Oh, man, now that makes it personal. It just doesn't say God is refuge or even doesn't say God is a refuge, but it says this God is our refuge. I'm glad I got a place tonight. Amen. I'm glad I got a protector. I've got a shelter in the time of storm. God's people have a place we can run to. God's people have a place that we can turn to in a time of trouble. I looked up that word trouble there in verse number one, a very present help in trouble. That word trouble means this. It means a tight place. Anybody in here tonight in a tight spot? Can I have an, anybody in this room tonight? Boy, I tell you what, I mean, you just don't know what to do about what's going on in your life right now. And you find yourself hemmed in. You're in a tight place. Aren't you glad that we have got a refuge, a personal refuge in God? So we have a personal refuge. Look again at verse number one. We have a powerful refuge. Look again at verse one. It said this, God is not just our refuge, but he is also our what? He is our strength. Now notice the word God there in verse one. The word God is the Hebrew word Elohim. And it simply is the same word or the same name that is used to describe God in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And it simply means this. It means God, the almighty God. God, the all-powerful God, the, the all, uh, the God who has no rivals, the God that can speak the world into existence. In other words, what I'm trying to say is we don't just have a personal refuge. Thank God we got a powerful refuge. We have got one that is our protector that nobody can whoop. Can I have an amen? That nobody can overthrow. He's the all-powerful God. I've told you this before. God has a whole lot of enemies, but he has no rivals because nobody can rival the power of our God tonight. He's a personal refuge. He's a powerful refuge. But then I like this in verse number one. He's a present refuge. Look again at verse one. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In trouble. Aren't you glad? Uh, look, he ain't just going to be my refuge. He ain't just been my, excuse my English. He ain't just been my refuge. He's not just going to be my refuge. He is right now. Amen. Present tense, our refuge. And I like this. I'm not good at English. Miss Molly, is Miss Molly in here tonight? I am not good at English. Where is Miss Molly? Is she, She's in Bible school. Somebody in here is good at English. Help me. Is very an adverb or an adjective here? Somebody help me. Somebody help. Don't look down. We ain't praying. 
right, let me say this. It's either an adverb or an adjective. It's one or the other. But did you notice he's not just a, a present help, but thank God he's a very. <laughs> he is more than sufficient. He is all that we need right now to help us in our time of a storm. He's a present refuge. I don't know what you might be going through tonight. I don't know what hurt that you may have going on in your heart. I don't know what you got to face tomorrow when you get up in the morning, Lord willing, or what's going on. But I do know this. As God's people, he is our refuge and our strength, a very present help. Can I have an amen? He is there. Can I stop and say this? When you're going through things in your life, there are always three things that we should remember. If you want to write these down, this may help you going forward. But what, no matter what you and I are going through, three things to remember. Number one, God is in control. Number two, God is always with you. And number three, if the Bible be true and it is, God is somehow going to take whatever that you're going through and work it for your good. Can I have an amen? Can I say that one more time? God is in control. I know things sometimes seem like it's out of control, don't it? Sometimes it just seems like, I mean, things have just lost their mind. Sometimes it just seems like uh, it's just nothing but pandemonium and chaos. But I promise you this, God is still in control. God is in control. God is always with us. And no matter how bad it may be, God is taking that and will take it and use it for our good. If the Bible be true, how many of y'all believe the Bible? How many of y'all believe Romans 8, 28? I mean, it's in the book. God is a present refuge. And then I like verse 2 and verse number 3 because we find that God is a permanent refuge. Look at verse 2 and 3. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And then he says this, now what about that? Just stop and think about it. You know what he's saying? He, I guess he's describing the worst possible case scenario. All these things around us may happen. The earth can shake. I told you, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, we had an earthquake on the mountain the other night, the other morning. And uh, it's been a while since I've been through an earthquake. And it only lasted two or three seconds, but it scared me to death. And it's probably a, a 0.9 on the Richter scale. I mean, to, it probably wouldn't even show up on the Richter scale. But I knew something had happened. Either somebody slammed the door or the house shook one. And it doesn't matter. You know what? We're not used to earthquakes around here, are we? I mean, normally, we don't have a whole lot of earthquakes around here. We do have some floods from time to time. But then he said this, even though the enemy may be in, in, invade the land, he said, don't worry about it. No matter what happens to us, we have a permanent refuge in God. Earthly things may change, but the eternal God never changes. Now, if he's your God, you, can, you and I can rest assured tonight. You and I can lay down in the midst of a world gone crazy and go to sleep. You know why? Because our God never slumbers or sleep. Because our God is our refuge, and as long as he is alive and he'll never die, and he can't lie, he's in control. He's in charge. 
Hey, ladies and gentlemen, he is going to work everything out for our good, and he's always with us. He never leaves us. We have a refuge. Now let's move from that. Because in verse number four, we leave the refuge, and now we start talking about the river. Now look at verse number four. There is a river. Now what in the world? I mean, why in the world does he shift now and said, okay, let's, let's, let's forget about the refuge. Let's talk about the river. Now, when we think about a river, first thing that pops in my mind is water. What about yours? Water. You know, I read this week, depending on whom you ask, that the human body, depending on conditions outside, but on average, I mean, the hotter, the quicker, the cooler, the slower, but the human body can on average go between eight to 10 days without water. Eight to 10 days, you, you go without water. And it again, depends on uh, the environment, you know, how hot or how cool it may be. But uh, water is essential for life. If we are going to live, we have got to have water. Can I have an amen? Well, let me tell you this. In times of warfare, especially in the days of Hezekiah, an, invaded, an invading army could come, besiege a city, cut off its water supply, and literally force the people to surrender or else they were going to die. If they didn't have water, they couldn't make it. They would have to surrender. Now, food was one thing. We remember up north, remember the northern kingdom? You know, they started eating donkey's heads. And dub's dung. How would you like to go to McDonald's? Somebody say, can I help you? Yep. I'll have a piece of donkey head and a cake of dove's dung. That's what they were eating up north before the city was finally conquered. In fact, not only were they eating donkey's heads, they were boiling their own children. Remember that from the Bible? They were boiling their own children and eating them because of the siege of Samaria. They sieged the city of Samaria for three years. The city lasted for three years. Finally, when there was no more food, it broke up. It broke apart. Well, let me say the same was true about water. I mean, you cut off a place water supply, literally, you could force the people to surrender else they were going to die. And listen to this about Jerusalem. Unlike the other capital cities of the world, Jerusalem was not built on a river for water supply. Think about this. Egypt was built on the Nile. Nineveh was built on the uh, Tigris. Babylon was built on the river Euphrates. Rome was built on the river Tiber. And the reason they did that, that was their water supply. Jerusalem was built in the hills. There was no river nearby. The only way Jerusalem had to get water into it was from a, was from a, uh, a spring called the Gahan Spring, which was located on the hill of Ophel, which was outside of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Sennacherib knew that. Man, he knew if we could cut off the water supply, we can force the people to capitulate. We could force them to surrender and come out of the city if we cut off the water supply. But hear me and hear me well, Hezekiah knew that as well. So according to the Bible, what Hezekiah did was he went to that spring, he diverted it into the city of Jerusalem, made a pool called the Pool of Ophel, and right there in the city of Jerusalem, the whole time the siege went on, they had fresh water in the city of Jerusalem because of the wisdom of godly king Hezekiah. 
Right there in the middle of all that, the, the, the Assyrian troops on the outside had no water. There was no way to get water. That spring, he had cut it off. He had diverted the flow into the city. He had pulled it up in a reservoir. The people inside the city had fresh water to drink every day, every night, while the Assyrian soldiers outside, they had to bring their own water in. And the psalmist simply said, hey, we've got a river inside the city that shall make glad the city of God. There's a river, friend. We read about what Hezekiah did. Look at this right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse number 3. The Bible said this is talking about Hezekiah took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. And then the next verse said, so there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find much water. So they diverted those springs, brought them into the city, and the whole time the Assyrians had no water, inside the city of Jerusalem, there was water. You say, preacher, what's that got to do with us? Well, I'll tell you something. We have a river in our life. In the midst of the dry times and the parched times of life, aren't you glad that as God's people, we have a never-ending supply of fresh water flowing within our heart? That's right. Look at this right here. God is our fountain. This is the words of God. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. You know what he's saying? As a people of God, we got a spring that'll never run dry. We got a fountain of living what God is our fountain. Look at this next verse. Not only do we have God as our fountain, we have Jesus as our well. In John 4, verse 14, Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everything. I got a fountain in God. I got a well in Jesus. Watch this. I got a river in the Holy Ghost. Look at this verse. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they should believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So watch this. God is my fountain, Jesus is my well, and the Holy Spirit is my river. Amen. Sounds like to me I ain't going to go thirsty. Can I have an amen? And right there in the midst of this very troubling time, when it looked like it was curtains, Hezekiah had diverted the flow, and there was a river right there in the city of God. But they not only had a river, but look in verse number five, they had a resident. Look at verse five. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. Look at this. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. You know, they not only had a river, they had a resident. I mean, they had somebody in that city that was going to see to it that that city was not going to fall. And that resident was God himself. Look this. I'm going to wrap this up. But I, here's the phrase that stuck in my mind in verse 5. God is, and then this phrase, in the midst of her. 
I just did this. Maybe some of you young preachers won't do this. There's a whole series of messages. I know what you're thinking. Well, it's coming to a pulpit near us. But there is a whole series of messages in the Bible that you can preach just on that one phrase, in the midst. Now, we're told in this text that God's in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of the city. But watch this. Let's just run down through this right quick. And it came to pass, Jesus was in the temple. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. He's in the midst. Watch this verse. Where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, and Jesus, there it is again, at Calvary, he was in the midst. Watch this one. This is after his resurrection. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood, there he is again, in the midst. I like this next one. Watch this one right here. Revelation 1.13. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the set, one likened of the Son of Man clothed with a garment down. You know what that tells me? He's in the middle of the church. Amen. Amen. Watch this one right here. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, so now he's in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and lead them uh, unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. But I couldn't miss this one. Not on your life. I couldn't miss this one. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there. Man, I'm telling you, he's in the midst. Amen. Yeah, friend, he is in the midst. Now we read in our text that God is in the midst of the city. It's not just a river, there's a resident. And when God is in the midst, friend, let me tell you this, he is the majority. Can I have an amen? When God gets in the midst, he's not coming to take sides, he's coming to take over. Furthermore, we're told in verse number six, the heathen rage. Yeah, they were shouting and raging. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, God, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. What do you think about that? Selah. The Lord of hosts. That means the one that is the leader of the armies of heaven, the host of heaven. So there is a refuge and there is a river. And last of all, beginning verse number eight, we find there is a ruler. Now watch this. He says, come. Now this is after it's over. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he has made in there. He maketh wars to cease. Under the ends of the earth. I'm not going to go into this. But there are some people who believe that the book of Psalms has some hidden messages in it. All right? For instance, the World War II, the Second World War, entered, uh, ended in 1946 in the month of September. Now look at Psalms 46, verse 9. A hidden message, he maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. If you were to, and I'm not going to go into this because I'm not one of those who goes out on tangents, but if you were to go through this psalm and just look at the great significant dates of history and then go when that thing happened and go to the book of Psalms, you'll find out there are a lot of dates when significant things happened in history. And you go to that psalm and find that verse, that year and that month. 
And you'll find a psalm, a verse in the book of Psalms that kind of relates to that incident that happened. And they called them the mysteries of the book of Psalms. You say, preacher, you believe that? I ain't saying I do. I'm just saying Psalms 46 verse 9 in 1946 in the ninth month. Guess what happened? World War II came to an end. He maketh wars to cease. I got a lot of them. You want, you want some of them? Nope. But look at verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. So watch this. So now Hezekiah saying, hey, come on, show y'all something. And this is in the southern vernacular Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew. He said, y'all come on, show you something. And he, and, he, and he walks out to the walls. And what happened was all around those walls were those Assyrian soldiers were, were besieging the city. One angel came down from heaven and in one night killed 185,000 Assyrians. So one angel, one angel, hey, not a host, not an army, one angel came down that night and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. They went to bed one night. Those soldiers were outside those walls. The attack was impending. They got up the next morning. The whole outfit was dead. And Hezekiah said, y'all come here. I'll show you something. And that's what verse 8, come, behold, worship the Lord. And here's what we read about it in the Bible right here. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians. Now here it is, a hundred, so that's a hundred thousand, four score, that's 80, and 5,000, 185,000 soldiers. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Hezekiah, come here, I'll show y'all something. I'll show y'all what the Lord did. Come and behold the works of the Lord. Now, wait a minute. We're done. You know something? That kind of that helps me a little bit when it comes to, uh, you know, the, uh, that's true in, in, in a past application. God did that in the days of Hezekiah. You know, that's true in kind of a prophetic application because we know in a future day at the Battle of Armageddon when the Antichrist and all the armies of the world have gathered together for that one big last battle, we know the Lord's going to come back and, and there's going to be a great slaughter of all the armies of the world. But aren't you glad that's not true just in the past and just in prophecy? Aren't you glad that's true right now? I mean, God can right now slay the enemies of our life. God can still slay the enemies and give us the victory as the people of God. Be still, verse 10 says, and know I'm God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And now watch this. And what do you think about that? God, refuge, river, and ruler. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the word of God tonight.